Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first ever, ever digital roundtable. Today, we'll be discussing how to implement an eSports program at your university, and we have three experts to help us. I'm Heather Hartman, editor of Campus Rec Magazine, and I'll be your moderator for today. Um, on our panel, I'd like to introduce our lovely gentleman we have here. First, we have Dylan Ray. Uh, he is the eSports coordinator at the University of North Texas. Hi, Dylan. Hey. Uh, next, we have David Kirk, the Assistant Director of Esports at the University of Akron. Oh, he waved. Good job. Akron. And Akron. Akron. Oh, my gosh. Akron. Thank you. Um, and then we have Nicholas Singer, the Assistant Director of Competitive Sports at Vanderbilt University. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. It is truly a pleasure to have you on Campus Rec Magazine's first ever digital roundtable. So to our audience, how this is going to work is I'm going to field our experts a question. I'm going to let each of them answer, and there's discussion that needs to take place. They're going to go back and forth and all of that. If we run too long, I'll wrap them up and move on. Um, gentlemen, of course, if you have something to say, please feel free to jump in and talk to one another about it. Uh, to our listeners, those attending, we will have a 15-minute Q&A at the end. There is a raise your hand function on this webinar. Uh, if you raise your hand, I will then be able to unmute you and you can actually ask our panel a question. If you don't have access to a mic or don't want to use a mic, you can also submit a question, type it in, and I will read those to our panelists at the end. So as we're going be thinking of what you want to ask and if you have anything hopefully we we are very thorough um, and we take that time so uh, we will try and stick to that hour because i know everyone watching this is nice and busy and we want to respect everybody's time so um with all that said we're going to just dive right in and first off um gentlemen i would love for each of you to share uh what what does your esports program look like uh at your university um what does it look like what just give us the gist and a, a nice picture of that and dylan i would love to start with you sure so uh unt esports is a varsity program that's housed in recreational sports under the division of student affairs um our program started from a presidential initiative uh, that came from a club that really kind of uh, talked to the president at our university and uh, basically said, like, hey, you should take esports seriously. And, uh, you know, fortunately for us, he did. And so um, a task force was created and led by uh, Lori Klein and Britt Sherry, and um, they basically founded uh, the UNT um, eSport program, which was the first uh, public uni uh, university in the state of Texas to establish a varsity eSports program. Uh, fast forward to now, and now we offer $20,000 in partial scholarships for our four flagship teams, Overwatch, League of Legends, Hearthstone, Rocket League. Um, our team uh, receive uh, hands-on coaching, uh, tutoring resources, uh, weekly workouts at our rec center, um, and uh, just uh, this last fall, um, our program was recognized by Blizzard as one of the top 12 uh, varsity programs in the United States um, the fall of 2019. Um, we also offer a wide variety of programming that appeals to the larger student body um, as a whole through uh, access to our gaming labs, uh, to through our nest facility and intramural programming. Um, we also have a eSport sports club that allows a lot more students to get engaged and involved. Um, and there they watch like professional matches. Um, and also we do large scale events through our Lyceum Theater for really large tournaments. So. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. David, can you go ahead and give us just an overview of what your, your esports program looks like? 
Uh, yeah, so we at Akron have three different components to our esports program. Uh, we have the varsity component, much like UNT. Uh, our players are playing intercollegiately against other universities. Uh, right now, we have seven games that we play at the varsity level, um, and that's up from five from last year. So those games are League of Legends, Rocket League, Hearthstone, uh, Counter-Strike, which is a, a hot topic, um, Overwatch, we just added Rainbow Six Siege and Fortnite just because of the demand on our, our campus for those. And we did have those as clubs already. Um, we've got roughly $1,000 to $5,000 of scholarships for all of our players. We also put student coaches and student managers on scholarship as well. So although myself, uh, Michael, and our club coordinator, Nate, we all serve as kind of an overarching head coach, uh, we really rely on our students to be the, the content experts because as everyone knows, games change. Uh, different strategies and meta even on a weekly basis. So it's impossible for us to stay up on that. So we really rely on our students. Plus it provides a good opportunity for them. Uh, we have the club component uh, and really that's kind of our largest component at this, this point. So we've got about 55 total students uh, on our varsity squads uh, and that's including coaches and managers. And then in our clubs, we're actually up to roughly a thousand students right now, unique students across 15 different clubs. And our clubs are centered all around. It's, it's very similar to a tra traditional club sport model um, where it falls under esports, but they fall around different game genres like fighting game clubs, which encompass a lot of different fighting games. And then there's game specific clubs like League of Legends, like Overwatch and Fortnite. Uh, and then we just have recreational gaming. So um, Roughly 2,100 students now uh, have participated in our program in some capacity. Over the last year, we did just open October of 2018. Um, and of those 2,100 students, they spent roughly on average about 20 hours over the course of the semester. Uh, we do a lot of different programming, um, targeted programming to try to get different demographics into the facilities. Uh, but really, most of our, our time is, is troubleshooting PC issues, uh, doing some surveying to ensure that we have what our students want to play on campus, and then putting on events to engage all of our students. Um, and then we also have a, another component. This is kind of our fourth slash pseudo component, and that's uh, what we call our Zen uh, network, and it stands for Zips Esports Network. So really what that is, is that is an entrepreneurial startup type of club that our students engage in, in things like broadcasting, content creation, uh, and it's entirely ran by student volunteers. Uh, we've got roughly 50 students uh, participating in that, and they, they are across a broad spectrum of, of different majors as well. We've got engineering majors, we've got uh, biology majors, art majors, that's the easy one for content creation. Uh, but surprisingly, we have very few communication majors, which is really who you think would engage in that type of thing. So um, all in all, like I said, we've got roughly 2,100 students. We're a campus of the size of about 17,000. So we're engaging a pretty significant portion of the campus community. We do have three dedicated facilities. Um, technically, we have the second largest amount of dedicated space in a collegiate environment for gaming, uh, but we are spread amongst three separate locations. Uh, one of our locations is a varsity arena. Only our varsity players have access to those PCs. Um, Monday through Sunday, essentially, they have them from 8 a.m. until midnight uh, because practices and competitions happen at all hours of the day. 
And then we have a club arena, which is our largest uh, facility, and it is open to any student uh, for recreational gaming, but our clubs have priority for reservations in case they wanna compete or schedule practices. And then we just have a recreational gaming facility, uh, all the same computers, all the same specs uh, that you would need and that our varsity players play with. And we have a big game library so that you can just come in. There's no obligation to be a part of the program. It's just a way to connect and get started with, with eSports if you're interested. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And then, Nicholas, let's go ahead and, and talk. I know your situation is a little different. You're at Vanderbilt, but you actually had a big part in University of Illinois and the eSports program over there. Um, go ahead and, and talk a little bit about that and give us an overview of that and even what you're kind of doing now at Vanderbilt. Yeah, so uh, the approach at Illinois was uh, a bit different. They haven't been picked up as a varsity or as a club activity at that point. But there's a student organization called Illini Esports that we tried to partner with um, fairly often uh, throughout the year. We had a couple events that worked out pretty well. Um, we had a tournament for League of Legends, which, to be honest, I didn't know anything about, but I knew we had students on campus that knew a lot about different games. So whether it be console-based games or PC-based games. And so we tried finding those students. So we worked with Illini Esports for uh, PC. And then we worked with, um, there's a Smash group on campus as well. And we were trying to get an event that would work with them over in the rec center. And so our biggest goal was, you know, trying to find those student experts on campus that we can bring in and then kind of expand their program. So uh, Illini Esports is a really successful um, gaming group. They've done really well in the Big Ten. Um, and so they weren't necessarily as interested in the support that we wouldn't be able to provide from a varsity standpoint, but we were going to help grow some of that recreational aspect on, on campus at Illinois. Um, now at Vanderbilt, I'm taking a very similar approach to so trying to find those vested student groups that we have on campus, um, whether it's a console-based game or it's a PC-based game, and saying, how can we get you into the rec? and then provide you some of the space that you may not get elsewhere on campus, and then maybe, maybe introduce them into something else that we're currently doing, whether it's using our teaching kitchen or some of the other recreational programming uh, that we have going on, and then considering how we can bring them into that general sport club group that we already have, and then start doing like a, a student organization or a club sport organization fair at some point throughout the year so people can really come in and figure out more about what those student groups are on campus. Um, where it'll go from there, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, it'll definitely be driven by those students, but um, again, my, my interest in what we were doing at Illinois and what we'll be continuing at Vanderbilt is really finding those groups on campus and then letting them kind of provide the vision, and then we'll help see where we can fill in the pieces to get to that point. Yeah, awesome. Gentlemen, thank you. And as you can tell uh, to those attending, uh, we have a wide variety of experts here, um, you know, and the different programs that they all have from, you know, established for years and, and to Vanderbilt. Nicholas is growing that and it is coming up. So, and I think that's reality in the industry is there's a, there's a wide range happening um, in, in this esports realm. So with that said, with, with those programs in place, of course you need someone running that program. And gentlemen, even though you are all incredible, it can't just be you. You also have to have some people helping you. I know a lot of you have brought up students. So when you are looking for a, you know, a, 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 someone to head it up to be a coach to step in and take that leadership role. Um, what do you What do you look for? You know, who maybe currently helps run your esports programs, um, maybe alongside you or under you, or however that is structured. Um, what does that look like? And Dylan, we'll go ahead and start with you again. Yeah. So um, with our team, um, like my kind of core position is kind of like athletic manager, I think is probably the best way to kind of describe it. Uh, very much stemming from what uh, David had talked about um, in this uh, 
kind of world, um, I think some you'll see a lot of programs that will have kind of like one staff member um, that's managing a lot of these programs or referred to as like the head coach. Um, but it's not possible for you to have one person manage an entire esport program uh, because each of these games have so many different uh, strategies and specializations. It's like saying, you know, like one person is like the soccer coach and the football coach and the, the tennis coach. Um, so, you know, we, we empower a lot of um, students um, on our campus to uh, step into a lot of these uh, coaching positions. Um, so we basically just find some people um, and empower them uh, to study and kind of research the games they love and are good at. Um, so our team has expanded pretty rapidly. We now have a graduate assistant uh, position in sports psychology. Uh, we have three um, hourly student coaches uh, and a student broadcast manager and six uh, stipend assistant coaches um, and additionally about 15 broadcast volunteers that make up our team. Um, broadcast operations uh, is kind of something that um, I kind of oversee, uh, but I also um, have someone that also kind of owns that as well. Um, that's uh, from our, our broadcast operations um, uh, radio, television, film program. Um, and so they um, basically help, uh, you know, kind of create the content for uh, twitch.tv. And if you're unfamiliar for what Twitch is, uh, it's a streaming service kind of similar to like YouTube, but it's specifically geared uh, towards gaming and esport viewership. Um, and so me and uh, my content manager, Dylan, uh, two Dylans, uh, trained students uh, in sport broadcast to cover matches um, that a lot of the tournament organizers don't. Um, so that kind of increases our viewership for our program and so that more students are kind of aware of what our teams are doing and how they're um, accomplishing it, but at the same time created kind of an educational opportunity for uh, broadcast. Um, we also get a lot of volunteers to help us out with um, some of our larger events. Uh, so like our League of Legends uh, Texas Clash or our dorm clash that we did earlier this semester where we get a lot of students that are pulling off large scale events, um, which is certainly a, a, an important aspect uh, behind the esport industry um, are these kind of large lands or large tournaments that require a lot of staffing um, and kind of job opportunities in the future. Um, and so uh, yeah, there's, I mean, kind of the, the cool part about esports is that um, there's a lot of different um, machinations that make it work. And so um, there's a lot of different ways that you can get students involved, uh, you know, from coaches, casters, tournament organizers, uh, people that fix tech issues. Um, there's just a lot of ways to, to get students involved and uh, make the program tick. Uh, no, no, that makes sense. And, and David, how about you? How about your program? You know, what leadership coaches, you know, what does that look like and how do you find those people? Uh, yeah, so our program's pretty fortunate uh, in that we have three professional staff uh, that kind of oversee the overall operations of the program and we each have our own little area that we specialize in. Um, we have Michael Fay, so he is the director of the program and he's really more so in charge of the strategic vision of Akron Esports. You know, where we're going, you know, how we're going to get there. And then it's up to myself, I'm the assistant director, and then Nate Meeker, who's our club coordinator, to make sure that that happens. Uh, Michael also does a lot with our sponsorships and promotions uh, to try to get those sponsors and engage them and, and get us some more money so that we can give our students for scholarships. Um, my job really, so I actually come from campus recreation, uh, that traditional higher education background. I was a facilities coordinator at Illinois State University uh, and as well as a graduate assistant there. 
Um, what we found has been really helpful in our program is Michael comes from that traditional esports background uh, where he was on Twitch and very successful at it. Uh, and he did a lot of tournament operations. Uh, and then Nate Meeker, our club coordinator, also has some competitive esport experience as well and came from overseas. So we each bring that unique perspective and it's played really, really well with the overall growth and engagement of our program because as uh, a campus rec person, a student focused, you know, I'm always pushing like, hey, we really need to do programming and put on events so that we can engage these students and this type of dem demographic and, you know, continue to extend our reach on campus. And Michael's very much like, we need to have the best teams because that's what's going to get the university, the notoriety. And Nate's like, I know how to get the best teams because I have all these strategies. So it's it's worked really, really well for us, but we do still rely pretty heavily on student volunteers. Uh, we do have uh, like like I mentioned, we do have about 5,500 square feet of space that we have to supervise. Uh, so we, we've got a team of 14 student assistants uh, that they're there, access control, risk management, policy enforcement, you know, all those those keywords that every student position has, um, and ensuring that our, our games are, are launching properly and our students are taken care of. Uh, we also have a content manager that we pay uh, that is in charge of all of our social media, does a lot with our, with our Twitch account as well. Um, and then we have an events manager. So they kind of take the lead on coming up with ideas, you know, speaking with our clubs, speaking with myself uh, for different engagement opportunities for campus. Um, we did just do a, a pretty large scale event as part of a, a larger association. It was a LAN where we brought all the best Ohio teams in to compete at our university and our student event manager coordinated all that uh, pretty great experience when you're looking to go into esports as a career. Um, and then our third paid position that we have is our technology and digital development. Uh, and, and that student assistance job is entirely Discord management. We've got uh, a Discord population of 2,500 right now. Um, we need automation for getting them roles assigned, which if anybody knows anything about Discord, it's essentially Microsoft Teams or Slack, if you're familiar with those, uh, with different voice and text channels. Um, but that's a job in itself. And while you know I'm pretty knowledgeable in coding and, and those things, I've got a lot more on my plate as well. So we really rely on those students. And then I already mentioned our student managers and our student coaches who are the content experts and uh, really go through the day-to-day -day with our teams, ensuring that they're staying on task and following through with their commitments. We also require uh, strict nutrition and exercise routines for our varsity players. Uh, we've got pretty high academic standards. They're even higher than traditional athletics. Um, so ensuring that they're checking in on them and, and giving them the resources they need. And if they can't, they're talking with us. So our three professional staff, we kind of serve as those overarching head coaches. You know, we give the guidance to all of our students so that they're being effective coaches because a lot of them don't know how to do that yet. Um, but we really relied on them to be the content experts. And then our Zen network as well. Um, very similar to what Dylan was talking about. Uh, the Twitch, YouTube, Facebook Live, Mixer, whatever you're streaming on, that's huge in the esports industry and that's how your program gets visibility. Uh, and that in itself is a job. So having you know 40 plus students who are learning or already know how to do broadcasting, content creation, uh, shout casting, all these things that I'm not good at, that Michael's not good at, that's really helpful to have as well. Sounds like a big team doing a lot of stuff. So awesome, David. Thank you. And Nicholas, can you go ahead and give us an overview? You know, who, who runs your program? Uh, what do you look for in helping, you know, getting those coordinators and, and uh, students involved in leadership positions with esports? Uh, so the first thing started for me was just reaching out to the 
uh, intramural, intramural supervisor staff that I had uh, and said, hey, who's, who's interested in esports, who uh, is either participating, watching, whatever it may be, um, because any of those things, they certainly knew more about it than I did at the time, and they would have a passion to run it, right? So they're going to have a connection to somebody on campus who may know somebody else to get some teams involved. Um, so I leaned on a couple of our supervisors to help us out with that. Um, and then when it came to putting on our first event, uh, we actually had a lot of help from the students that had shown up um, playing League of Legends. And one of the teams helped us set up the Twitch stream and try to get things so that we could stream it on a projector while the game was happening. Because um, as much as, you know, I tried to muddle through it, my student had done it, it wasn't anything that we'd ever really put on. And we wanted it to be an event that somebody could walk by. And instead of seeing, you know, eight or 10 people sitting in a room in front of a computer, we had a projector and a screen in front so they could walk by and see that and be like, oh, wow, this is something I might want to stop in and see what's going on. Um, we're taking a similar approach here is trying to find the students that are really interested in what's going on. And then uh, selfishly, I'd like to hire them. You know, uh, students are always looking for jobs. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them are looking for a job. Um, and if we can do it on campus and keep it in something that they're really interested in, uh, then that can be their baby. And that can be the thing that they grow. And since they're already doing it, my pitch to them is why not get paid for it? You know, you're already organizing events for your student group. Why don't you help us do that for the rec and then get paid for that experience? And then this can be something that when you're applying for jobs, you're applying to grad school or whatever your next step in life is, you can say, hey, this is something that I got to be a part of and I, I was able to build. And then it lets me focus on the bigger strategic plan of our department as a whole. And they can have that little niche in the department and then I can keep the big picture things going forward. And then as they say, hey, we want to try this game or we want to try that uh, experience or want to do um, a watch party or something like that, I'm there to help connect them with the resources they need on campus. Um, so while we haven't done a whole lot, uh, we do have some students that have a really big vested interest saying, hey, we're already doing this. How do I bring more people into it? Or find those students on campus that maybe they haven't been able to reach because they know there's other students participating in the same thing they are. They just don't know how to find them. That sounds like to kind of feed off, to kind of feed off what uh, Nick was saying about the paid student positions as well, uh, with esports and how booming it is right now, a lot of students are looking to get experience in that, and getting paid opportunities is the best. So we actually pay, like I said, 14 student assistants on campus, and although we only have 14 positions, we are the number one applied to job on campus with over a thousand students in our queue right now. So. All those universities who have troubles recruiting and getting students to be interested in working for them, I can say at least in our experience, where everyone wants to work for esports. At least yeah, that's what it I'll, seems like. Definitely, I'll agree with that. Uh, a lot of people apply for the open jobs that we have. <laughs> why? Why do you all think that is? What makes it so desirable? I, I think because I mean, so I know for me, coming from the student perspective. Uh, I worked on campus and you can get a lot of transferable and tangible tangible skills. And so long as you articulate that in the job description, plus it's esports, it's booming. It's it's this area of mystery and, and interest that a lot of students have in general. They see, you know, that 13 year old Fortnite player making $13 million. You're like, oh, I want to get involved in esports. Hey, this is esports on campus. And they probably think that all you're going to do, it's it's much like the, the battle I have. People think all I do is game every day. The students probably think they're just going to have time to spend in game all the time, which in reality, they realize that it's completely different. So, No, it, it's it's one of those uh, essentially lab experiences where you get to apply your education to uh, something while you're on college. And anytime like you're in college, that's something that's super valuable that you can develop real world skills um, before you ever graduate. And I think that's that's huge um, on top of the fact that it's 
it's kind of buzzy or you know right now and everyone's kind of you know very excited about it but um <clears throat> but you know definitely uh the real world skills of like you know leadership or uh, media content creation or uh you know applying your like your psychology degree to you know a sports team or something like that there's a lot of new ways that you students can apply their education to the programming that we're creating Interesting stuff. Lots to think about. Lots to think about when you're starting your esports program or gaining momentum with it. So, so we talked about students. We talked about staffing um, and different for all of you, all, all of y'all. Uh, those different things. Now let's talk about equipment because that seems to be highly important when it comes to esports. Um, so, kind of talking about specifics. You know, maybe what does the esports space even on your campus look like? I know that's a big thing. You know, where are we going to put this? Do we have a a space for it um, and how you even decide on that equipment. So just kind of looking at, you know, getting it off the ground and maybe even, hey, what I've kind of learned. So Dylan, let's go ahead and start with you thinking about that equipment, that space. Sure. So um, our primary facility that we uh, started out with uh, before my program was even created, uh, we created something called The Nest, uh, which uh, between two different uh, facilities, so one on our main campus and then a smaller version on our engineering campus. Um, between the two, uh, they have 29 um, Alienware Aurora R5s, uh, four PS4s, four Xboxes, four Nintendo Switches, and uh, a VR Vive, or a Vive. Um, and so that's the, the public facility that's designed for um, all students to um, access it. And so it's actually managed by our library system um, and it's dubbed the media library. So students can go there and they can check out um, videos, uh, uh, gear for uh, broadcasting, um, and they can also check out video games and video game consoles. So over the weekend, you can check out a PlayStation 4 and go home and uh, play PS4 games if you've never owned one of those before. Um, and so kind of the really neat thing about that space is that it allows students, regardless of their socioeconomic status while they're attending school, have access to um, all of this, uh, you know, all of the facility um, for free. And that actually has really helped out our varsity program because we've gotten students that may not have ever thought about getting into esports, um, but while they're in college, they had the access to these resources to uh, consider getting into it. And uh, we, we definitely picked up a few students that we would not have been able to get into our program because of whatever their setup is um, at home. Um, we also have a new facility um, that I'm actually in right now uh, uh, called the Erie. Um, that's actually on our uh, in our rec center uh, that's exclusively just for the varsity program. So this is where my student staff uh, do all of their work out of um, before practice starts. So they're you know their research they're doing or deciding which VOD review that they want to. Uh, you know, look over at practice. Um, they do so here, um, but this is also where some of our smaller teams, like uh, Hearthstone and Rocket League, uh, practice out of. Um, and so this space has uh, 15 um, Alienware um, M17s, and they're outfitted with. Actually, both of our facilities are outfitted with uh, Corsair mice and keyboards. Um, and this facility also has. Uh, uh, XG uh, ViewSonic uh, gaming monitors. So they have the, the 240 hertz monitors that are really cool. But it helps us kind of get ready for uh, lands and competitive um, events where they're going to a space that has like really nice gear and equipment that we can kind of train them in, uh, and prep them for. Um, so that's kind of the, the three main facilities that we have and kind of the, the gear that we use um, on our campus. Yeah, 
Awesome. David, how about you all? So uh, we have three separate facilities uh, around the campus. Uh, one of them is our varsity arena. That's actually located in the first floor of our football stadium, uh, which is really great for our, our students. It's only accessible by varsity players. So they get that, that I'm a D1 athlete uh, kind of mindset when they get to walk in there. And during football games on Saturdays, which is when a lot of esports competitions are as well, it's extremely busy. So the program gets a lot of folks who are seeing it for the first time. And you always have parents coming up and looking at our big nine display hyper wall, like, oh my gosh, what is this? And the kids obviously are also enthralled with it as well. So um, in that facility, we have 22 um, high-end, they, they are custom PCs. Uh, but they have some of the highest end software that you could have gotten a year and a half ago when we purchased them. They've got uh, i7, which are six core CPUs, and then 1080 Ti's, and that's all I'm going to tell because I'll lose everybody else in the audience. Um, <laughs> but but essentially, they're some of the highest uh, performing gaming uh, PC parts that you can get still, even to this day. Um, the reason why we chose those uh, are because they're essentially future-proof. So the reality is you don't really need a lot of very high-end computer components to play most of the eSport titles. Uh, League of Legends, for example, which is probably one of the most popular eSport titles, can run on a three-year-old laptop uh, just fine. Now, once you get into games like Overwatch and Rocket League, CS, and some of those other titles, while they can run on lower-end equipment, having... Uh, higher end equipment allows you to increase your frame rate, which uh, Dylan mentioned they have 240 hertz monitors. What that means is uh, essentially you get a refresh at 240 hertz as opposed to a standard 60, which to you and I and 90% of the world, we could never tell the difference. But to your ultra competitive gamer, if you've got a 60 hertz monitor and somebody else is playing on a 240, the 240 monitor has an advantage uh, because just those minor fluctuations in movement can can make or break uh, a decision uh, and they can think at that rate and I can't whatsoever. Um, all of our PCs, we do have a total of 93. Um, all the rest that are not in the varsity arena are allocated towards our other two spaces, which any student can utilize. Um, the reason why we got all of them higher end, I, I talk to a lot of schools and what they say is, well, how about we get our varsity players, these super, super, you know, high end computers, $3,000 towers and monitors. Uh, and then we just get our recreational users, these 60 hertz monitors and these, you know, laptops. And the reason why we didn't go that route, uh, although it would have saved us a considerable amount of money, uh, was because we really wanted our students playing, whether they're varsity club or recreational playing on the same football field as our varsity players. Uh, and that's been really helpful for us because we've had a lot, like Dylan was speaking about those students who come through and they wouldn't have been able to play at that level on their own equipment now that they have access to it. Uh, we've had students come from our club scene and are now on our varsity team just because they were able to compete with others at a high level on the best equipment and, and grow their skill and, and invest the time into it. Um, but yeah, in, in total, we've got three facilities, total of 93 computers. We've got the gaming chairs, the, the 144 hertz monitors, keyboards, mice, so that a student doesn't have to bring anything. All they have to do is bring themselves and they can come in and they get free access. Awesome, David, thank you. Um, and, and honestly, that's awesome. And at the same time, it's not reality for every program out there to have 
what, 93? Oh my gosh, 93. That's just insane. So, um, and Nicholas, I know you've, you've had that experience was like, you, you just don't, you don't have that. So what, <laughs> what does that look like for you and your esports program that's, that's growing and budding? And how do you handle that when you don't have access to 93 monitors? Dang, David, that's crazy. <laughs> We're very fortunate. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Uh, when whenever you get a chance, send a few our way, and then uh, see what we can kind of build for a, a one-off event. I'm sure we'll mail them back at some point. Um, they get lost. They get lost in the mail. <laughs> oh, absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, for us, uh, again, we kind of leaned on the students. So we did a, a console-based day. Um, a couple of my students had game systems they could bring in, uh, which was fantastic. So then, obviously, it limits the number of people that we can have participate at a time. Um, when we did League of Legends, all the students were on laptops, and so they were able to kind of play and compete on their own, and that was, um, when I was at Illinois, the biggest thing that we could kind of offer to them was space, so we can't necessarily buy equipment or get enough rental equipment in order to host your event, but if you want to host your event in a bigger space that is going to be maybe more accessible, Illinois had a huge parking lot next to our rec center, then that was something that I was interested in building. Um, let's say you want to host a big LAN event, maybe for us, a 12-hour event in the normal competitive sports world is um, about eight hours too long <laughs> for what most of my staff were used to. Uh, for them, that was normal. You know, they wanted that 12-hour event. So that was what we had started to kind of work toward for the next year was how can we support you in this event? And that was one of the reasons I was hoping to hire some of those students was you all are interested in an eight to 12-hour event, whereas my current staff aren't going to be bought in for that entire time. And I don't have enough staff at that time that would be interested in helping out with an event like that. So that's where we were trying to recruit some of them. Um, here at Vanderbilt, we have some student groups that are, you know, currently playing different things. And they found vendors in Nashville that would, you know, rent you game systems or rent you gaming laptops. And it was a whole setup. So basically comes out of a briefcase and you've got everything that you need for like an Xbox or a PlayStation. Uh, it would come with four controllers. They'd send you a monitor or a TV that you'd be able to use with it. And it was, you know, a total package. So for us to try and pull off events, now we can say, Hey, we offer some of that equipment that you can use. You don't have to cart what you have across campus. Um, Cause it, it, at least for me, we found kind of a split 50 50 between students that use their laptop for all their gaming um, and all their schoolwork. And then others that have like a custom built, tower set up or whatever in their dorm or their apartment and they weren't really comfortable with moving that equipment so at least for a, a brief event for us they would move it for a 12-hour land party they wouldn't move it for like hey let's have a friday night light event for a couple hours um so trying to you know manage those relationships with some of the, the student groups that they already have with vendors and using that or just saying hey treat it just like the rest of our uh, intramural programming come out bring what you need to play and then we'll try to get you all on the the same playing field you know as, as best we can and can I add to that as well? Uh, sorry, I keep going on tangents. I uh, love tangents, so have at it. <laughs> so um, something that we found that was kind of unintended for our program as well was, uh, although a lot of our students have their own PCs, and honestly, a lot of them have pretty high-end equipment as well, they actually choose to come into our facilities and play 
One, because we might have a little bit better of a monitor, right? Or a little bit better of a graphics card, but really it's because of that community component. So we, we never anticipated getting students who already had their own PCs. We were really focused and thought that most of the students who would come would be the students playing on laptops and wanted an advantage. But really the, the, the thing that happened was because we went with high-end equipment, we were able to pull another demographic of student in, those who already had those high-end. So that's something to think about when you're thinking about your overall budget for your PCs as well, is that, that benefit. And, and that, that could be unique to just us as well. Uh, but I know that that's something that our students have told us when we do surveying is like, hey, I've got this same graphics card, but I don't have the 144 hertz monitor. Or I've got the same monitor, but I don't have this nice of a PC to run it that high. No. Awesome, you guys, thank you. I know that equipment, that's, a, that's a, obviously that's probably one of the largest things about esports. You need equipment, you need technology. Um, and so I, I did wanna ask too, um, how maybe, what is maybe one way each of your programs has gone about drawing in the student population? I think David brought up a really good point about, you know, we just re we reached a population of students that we didn't think we were going to because of this. Um, I, I would like to also ask, you know, maybe what is one, just one marketing technique technique um, each program of yours has used to bring in students you know maybe what's something that you've seen to be successful in that realm and Dylan we'll go ahead and start with you just give me one we're we're running out on time and I have so many more questions um, so sure. Dylan just go ahead and give me one and then we'll just work our yeah. way around yeah so this year we did something that was uh, actually really successful we did a dorm clash where we partnered with housing uh, for the incoming freshmen that were coming into uh, UNT and basically, each dorm had to put together an Overwatch team that would uh, play at our Lyceum Theater um, during uh, first flight week before school started. And so that got a whole bunch of students that may not even realize that there was an eSport program on campus, um, realized that, there, that, it, that we existed, and um, that there was a lot of backing and support for um, what they were doing. So we were able to get a lot of students connected to the club or potentially uh, try out to go on the varsity program. And it was, it was kind of experimental for us, but it's certainly something that we're again in the future um, partnering with housing for getting freshmen into the culture of esports on our campus yeah awesome david what about you all um so when you hear the word esports or when a student hears the word esports they normally think of the uber competitive gaming what you see on twitch uh, and that's a struggle that our program actually faces. And we really wanted to reach that more recreational, casual audience. So what we did was kind of a retro night uh, where we we got the Super Mario games, Duck Hunter, uh, you know, all the old classics that uh, students normally like to play on their own, but don't necessarily think of as esports. And it wound up being really successful. We, you know, our demographic normally we've got about 17% women that participate in our program, and in that event alone, we had over 40%. So. Um, being able to reach that different target on not necessarily the most competitive, but folks who still like to game and find value in it, uh, but don't, don't care about the competition point of it. Awesome. Nicholas? Uh, I think the easiest thing for us was finding the, the group that was going to work with us. So uh, the League of Legends event we, we used, they sent it out through their email uh, listserv that they had. Um, Illinois, we weren't allowed to uh, use different listservs like that. We could use uh, something like from IM Lease as our students registered. So we sent it out both and we actually had kind of half and half participation. So one of the teams that was competing was uh, from like the League of Legends group uh, of Illini Esports. And then the other one was, um, I think it was one of the fraternities on campus came out and played and, and they play within their house quite a bit. So it was interesting to kind of see what their take on it was. And then for the folks that some people weren't able to attend and let us know, hey, 
that's awesome. That's an, an interesting event. We never really would have associated that with what you're currently doing. Cause obviously intramurals for us, for the most part was your traditional team sports. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you all. That's great. Just some marketing ideas for those of you who are attending and listening um, and maybe want to grow your esports program. So I'm going to have one more question for you all, because I know it's going to, it's going to be a hefty one. Um, and then we'll have to go into our Q and a uh, session because the questions have already been pouring in. So, um, but last, last kind of a question for the panel before we go into that Q and A um, challenges. So I know oftentimes people are like, "How do we get the university buying into this whole idea of esports?" Um, and I know that is one hurdle that um, I think all of you have faced at some point. Um, is some um, maybe a little harder than others. Uh, but I did want to talk about maybe some top challenges that you all have faced. Maybe just give me one or two, whether it's on that realm of like, yeah, getting the buy-in from the university, or maybe it's maybe it's something else. You know, maybe it's just getting students to know that you exist. Um, so if we could just maybe talk about some top challenges, hurdles uh, that you all have faced and uh, speak to maybe also, you know, this is what we faced and this is how we overcame it or this is how we're working to overcome it. That'd be really awesome. So Dylan, we'll start with you. Um, give us some, some hurdles and challenges and how you've overcome. Sure. So um, I'm, I'm going to preface this because I think a lot of different uh, programs have a lot of different uh, kind of goals um, of what they want their program to be. Um, the challenge that I, that I kind of um, initially um, had is that I was hired to create a competitive varsity program on our campus. And, um, and so I was hired into recreational sports, which traditionally never manages a varsity program. Um, and, you know, I think with uh, the NCAA taking a backseat um, as esport programs develop, um, there's certainly a void in kind of how we create and manage and implement our programs. And so there's a lot of programs that exist outside of athletics. And when you're creating a varsity program, you think of athletics. Um, and so um, in recreational sports, it, you know, it kind of feels like we are rebuilding a wheel. Um, and so there's certainly some kind of unique challenges um, when are in a different department that traditionally doesn't handle things like competitive scholarships or um, you know nutrition or uh, you know some other things that you know traditionally uh, athletics handles um, but when you're kind of creating the wheel you kind of learn a lot about it and uh, you um, kind of create this infrastructure that fits into uh, the rec sports model um, so you know we actually do actually have a lot of people that um, are knowledgeable in nutrition. You know, we have personal trainers that are in recreational sports that we can uh, create as programming for our athletes. And um, and so, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're in, you're in recreational sports or if you're in academics um, or IT. I've seen some programs get started up in. Um, you're going to inherently encounter um, you know the challenge of creating um, some infrastructure that already exists on your campus, but you're not allowed to tap into. Um, because you know your athletic department um, has probably uh, decided whether or not esports was going to live on uh, their um, their wheelhouse or your wheelhouse, and so um, it's certainly uh, you know a challenge, but it's something that kind of when you overcome it, it makes your program better, and you, and you find a way to tap into the resources that you know exist in recreational sports, and uh, it's something that. You know, now after you know a, a certain amount of time, kind of uh, building a program, you know, I can say I'm I'm very proud of um, you know that that our team was able to uh, you know put together and uh, create things like infrastructure for uh, you know 
advanced scheduling, uh, scholarships, uh, sports writing, um, something that I had never done before. I've never done sports writing, but here I am doing, you know, like sport recaps of like how our teams did that I you know, send off for our university social media team and, and stuff like that, um, that um, one made me a better, you know, well-rounded person, but um you know, it certainly uh, created a really special place um, here in recreational sports. Um, so that was something that uh, initially was a little daunting, um, but over time has, some, has become something truly special. Awesome, Dylan. Thank you. David, how about you? Biggest hurdles, challenges? I know we're running low on time, so I'll keep it pretty uh, succinct. Uh, so I know one of our biggest hurdle, hurdles, uh, as well as probably most of those watching, is the cost. So there's a huge upfront cost, specifically if you're buying 93 high-end PCs, monitors, gaming chairs, uh, all the above, and how you justify that to administration. So I think the answer to that, though, comes down to the goal of the university. So for us, it was student engagement, right? There's a lot of programs who are more interested with the competitive. You know, I want to be the the Alabama of esports or uh, Harrisburg, the Notre Dame of esports. Uh, but there's not a lot of money to be had in the prize pools right now in collegiate esports, which is a huge misconception because you see League of Legends has a what nine million dollar prize pool. Fortnite, a 13 year old makes 13 or three million dollars. That's just not true for collegiate at the moment. Now there's the opportunity for that to get there, but how I feel and how most folks feel, uh, universities should start focusing on the esports realm is through the student engagement piece because, like I mentioned, we have. 2100 students who participate in our program if 10% of them are still at the university because of those relationships that they've made or because of the the programming that we offer that's 210 students paying tuition uh, to the university you know you get into those recruitment retention pieces as well um, so that's how we justify our program is, you know, we do surveying, we figure out why students are sticking around if our program has any effect on that. And we found that it does. Um, and then when you're looking at the varsity component, you can kind of apply the same logic. You know, you may give a student $5,000 to come to the university, but they're still paying, you know, $15,000 in fees when otherwise they may not have came. So uh, putting those numbers together in a spreadsheet and then, you know, factoring out after your initial investment on esports, there's really not a lot of cost aside from, you know, paying your staff, uh, paying your scholarships and, and how those go around. But there's also a lot of sponsorship opportunities. Uh, and then our other main challenge, which everybody sees uh, or hears about all the time, is changing the mindset of folks who don't understand the benefits that can come from gaming. You know, pop culture and media show us, you know, kids sitting in their parents' basement who are inherently overweight and drinking Mountain Dew and eating Doritos as a gamer. Uh, and that is just vastly different from what, you know, we see on the day to day. Uh, so making parents understand that there is benefit beyond, you know, yeah, your kid can get a scholarship, but also they're going to develop critical thinking skills. They're going to develop communication skills, teamwork, all those things that traditional sports can provide you, but in a more safe uh, digital environment. Awesome, David. Thank you. Nicholas, how about you? Biggest hurdles and challenges? Uh, some of it's already been echoed. I think the, the biggest piece is your university vision and, and where they want this group to be housed on campus. Um, that was a conversation in Illinois was who was going to take ownership of it. And then uh, last year, there were eight different groups saying we would love ownership of it, which got kind of pitched back to the students to say what's going to make the most sense for you. Um, the other one, I think for us is finance and space. So there is that big upfront cost and it is untested waters, uh, you know, so 
there's no guarantee that if we put half a million dollars into a gaming space on our campus, that students are going to come into that. So it's finding ways as a recreation professional for me to show that there's value on our campus and that it is going to be something that's going to be heavily utilized as opposed to maybe, you know, developing a hit space or something in your rec center or some other uh, functional training piece that we now see as kind of um, one of those it things. And, and I think it's changing that mentality that esports isn't just going to be something that is a pop culture reference right now and it's going to stick around for a few years. Everybody's going to throw millions of dollars into it and then poof, it's going to vanish. Um, it will likely stick around for quite some time. It's just going to kind of morph into something that maybe is a little more package ready at some point on college campuses and, and trying to convince administration like, hey, this is something we can get in now. Maybe it's not jumping into a giant varsity program with 93 fancy computers. Um, it is just starting small and saying, hey, bring in the students that we can and then try to build it from there and run those events so we can get that assessment data that every university is asking for is all the assessment piece. So finding ways to answer the questions that they're providing to you uh, without actually having you know, a full-fledged program. I think that's the biggest hurdle that, that I found. Awesome, gentlemen, thank you. Um, I feel like we could probably talk for another hour, but let's be real, none of us have another hour. So, um, no, th seriously, thank you, that's awesome. And uh, to all of you listening, I do wanna let you know, this will be available um, for replay. It'll be, it'll be up on Campus Rec Magazine's website um, in the next week or so, so you can rewatch this. I know there was a lot of information thrown at you from equipment to students to even just numbers and suggestions and data and marketing plans. So you can rewatch this and share it with your staff. So um, now I wanna take some time, go through our questions. They've been kind of coming in as we've been talking. Uh, gentlemen, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I have a lot of in the queue um, and uh, I, I do have some hands being raised. So I'm gonna open up the floor to a question and uh, then I'm gonna let you guys have at it. Um, we'll take you know just a minute or two to answer the questions if someone's like, hey, I can do this. Um, then go for it, we'll do that, okay? Does that make sense? All right, so first off, I'm going to bring um, Kevin online. Kevin, I see your hand raised, so I'm gonna unmute you, Kevin, and you can go ahead and let us know uh, what is your question. Hey guys, can you hear me? Hey, this is, it's actually Andrew from Rowan University. Kevin sent me the link, but. Uh, <laughs> Good job, Kevin. Hi, Andrew. Yeah, I took Kevin's place today. Uh, first of all, thank you all for putting this on. We really appreciate it. Um, we are actually in the midst of uh, executing a contract with Nerd Street Gamers for a third party facility that they're going to be building on our campus, which will give us access to um, utilize that for our, our club program and hopefully in 2021 for a varsity program. Um, my question for you guys is, since we are kind of in the final stages of um, executing that contract, is there anything as far as like input or advice that we should make sure that is in that contract so that we can, you know, ensure that we have the access and space and, and usage to, you know, continue to grow our program and, uh, you know, make sure we move it in the right direction. Awesome, Andrew, thank you. Gentlemen, care to, care to apply? Sure. Um, if you are going like uh, third party, I would definitely make sure that you have late night access. Um, I mean, because a lot of the, depending on where you're at, um, a lot of the programming actually comes out of Pacific time. Um, so if you're in Central or in Eastern, uh, you're going to be up pretty late uh, for a lot of tournaments that are uh, take place during like the weekdays or on Saturday night. Um, so they can definitely go pretty late. So just definitely make sure you have access to this third party facility um, at a lot of kind of weird hours because um, it's not like a, a very clean like oh yeah our matches will be at like 4 p.m every day is usually um, 
a lot of weird timing, like uh, like eight o'clock at night or ten o'clock at night. And also for like practices, um, a lot of uh, scrims at kind of like the high competitive level have really kind of like locked in times in which they take place, and they're usually pretty late. Awesome, thank you. Um, uh, another question from our, our attendees, I'm gonna read it. Um, what rate do you pay your student employees? Could you could somebody maybe talk about what rate they, they pay their student employees? Um, I know that we pay our student assistants uh, what would be the university minimum wage, uh, which here in Ohio, it is 8.55 an hour. Um, we do have some computer lab student assistants that we kind of benchmark and they make $10 an hour, but the reason why we decided to go uh, not as high is because we feel the responsibilities are a little bit less because I essentially take care of all the major tech issues and troubleshooting uh, where we just require them with the software that we run on the PCs to ensure that they can navigate that. Uh, and then risk management, uh, all of our students are CPR, first aid, AD certified. Um, access control and those other things are just your standard things that are great entry points for students. Awesome, great. Tina, I see that your hand is raised, so I'm gonna go ahead and bring you online and unmute you, and if you could let us know what your question is, that'd be great. Did any of you start out your programs just as an intramural event, intramural competition, and gradually go into like club teams and then varsity, or did you all just full force go into this is a varsity sport or a club program. So I, I know for us, uh, specifically at Akron, our our program didn't have a lot of intramural participation. Participation. We work with the rec often, uh, and and they said they tried to do Madden tournaments, they tried to do NBA 2K tournaments, Mario Kart tournaments, and none of them went off very well, which I think is pretty standard. Uh, I personally tried to do something similar when I was uh, at, at Illinois State, and it wasn't very successful. Um, so from there, we did student surveying, and you know they said you know we're interested in games like League of Legends, Fortnite, and they don't necessarily want to pay for it because it's already free. So if your intramural is you know charging students five, ten dollars, or fifty dollars per team, they're more than likely not going to participate because they can already do these activities for free in their dorm room. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would definitely mirror that. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Dylan. Free, free intramural programming is uh, definitely the way to go. Um, and I think we, before I was hired, we started with intramural programming um, with our facilities. So we started with the community first and then kind of grew into creating an official competitive program. Okay. Awesome, great. Um, another question from one of our attendees, Marita, as well. Uh, can you address how your programs are currently funded? Do you gen generate revenue in any sort of manner? So uh, we are funded through uh, the general fund uh, at the university. Uh, it's kind of ever-changing uh, because we've been switching departments uh, over the past year as well. We initially started uh, in an academic department in the Honors College and just recently moved into student affairs. So we're trying to figure out where our budget's going to come from. But we do generate revenue. Um, our recreational facility is open for events, you know, things like birthday parties. And we also have community member uh, memberships in that facility as well uh, that honestly they don't generate a huge portion of our revenue strictly because we're already out of space for students so we're not doing a lot of marketing towards those those members and then one of our biggest revenue lines is summer camps 
uh, we made roughly $60,000 over the course of one month of doing summer camps uh, in the month of July. So uh, events is a great way to make money um, if that's what you need to do. But uh, what we view it as at Akron is a student service uh, and trying to engage as many students as possible with the least amount of cost. And like I said, we, aside from my salary and the rest of our, our team salary, um, our overhead is not very high. Awesome, you guys. Great. Bill, I see your hand is raised. I'm going to go ahead and unmute you if you could let us know uh, what your question is. Question is. Hi, everybody. Uh, Bill Mormon from Colorado State University Pueblo. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Uh, our question is, uh, you know, they say hindsight is 2020. Uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes that your teams have made um, in the implementation process of, of esports? And what lessons have you learned that you can help all of us who are just getting started? Awesome. Thank you. I feel like, I feel like that one is uh, maybe one that each of you could speak on and be like, ooh, big mistake. This is how we learned. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, you're laughing. What mistake did you have? <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, I, I think uh, in the first year, um, you know, I, I, I took a lot of stuff on like myself and didn't. Uh, I, I think this year we're a lot more kind of like liberal about how many people we get involved in the program and last year i think we had like two staff members and a couple volunteers and uh it was a lot of work um for just having four teams um and, and i think uh the, the amount of people that we had involved in our program and we started out with four competitive teams uh four was just too many um i think i would have started probably with like two maybe three teams if i'm launching a competitive program um, and because there's a lot of resources need to go behind each team for them to be supported and be successful, uh, for, for on the competitive varsity level. Um, and so knowing, you know, how many people kind of are needed to officially support these teams, uh, I think I would have started off with probably less teams in the beginning. So yeah, that's, that's probably mine. Also go CSU. That's my, uh, alma mater for undergraduate. So very cool. Exciting here. Cool. Anybody else have mistakes that they want to share that they've learned from? Uh, I, I would kind of mirror what Dylan said. Um, we didn't really anticipate the amount of interest that we were going to have uh, in our first year. We anticipated maybe five, six hundred students uh, participating in the program in some capacity, and we were at fifteen hundred by the end of the first seven months uh, when we closed because we didn't open until October uh, and closed in May. Uh, so we were really trying to roll out everything all at once. So that's three facilities, uh, our varsity training program, our varsity coaching and mentoring program, our partnerships with local high schools, our Zen, our Zipsy Sports Broadcasting Club, as well as 15 other registered student organizations. So I know myself and our other two full-time staff members were working 80 plus hour weeks, just keeping our heads above water. Uh, and some of the stuff we could have put a lot more effort into, like developing our policies and our procedures and doing more marketing to the community, more more events to engage different demographics, but we just didn't have the manpower. So uh, I, I would say rather than if, if specifically for starting with a small staff or no staff at all, uh, think big, but start small uh, and then expand based on what type of interest you're getting. Nicholas, did you have anything to add in terms of big mistakes? Uh, I think for us, it was not 
supporting and jumping on the opportunity to work with that student group when they first reached out. I think uh, the Alina eSport group had reached out a few years before um, I had started looking into it and eSports had really kind of blown up on the collegiate recreation scene. And at that point, they'd already kind of moved on. So instead of it being a, a relationship and a partnership between the two entities and say, hey, what can we do for you now? And then try to build that three, five, 10 year plan. Um, they already had a 10 year plan that then the university now had to say, well, how do we get to a point that's going to support them and then build it at that point? So I think if you've already got some vested groups on campus that you're trying to work with, um, hear them where they are and then see how you can build that partnership together and said, you know, they will build it on their own and they're going to find a way to get what they want. Students are incredibly resourceful. Um, and it's something I would say, don't just don't get left behind. You know, when they reach out for help, try to offer them that support or find another department on campus that can help you build it. All right, awesome. Um, I think we have time for like one more question. I have so many questions for you guys from our audience, but um, unfortunately you guys, we have time for one more um, and then we're gonna have to wrap it up because I do wanna respect everyone's time. And this just tells me we might have to do this again and you might just have to have a Q and A. <laughs> um, so uh, one question from uh, an attendee, from a club sports standpoint, what do you do with the winnings? Um, how do you divide it out or does it stay in a team budget? So um, if it's our, so if it's our varsity team that um, gets the winnings, um, we actually uh, take those funds and process them and send them to the bursar's office. So they get disimbursed as a scholarship um, because a lot of the events that you're going to go to, they'll just send you a check um, or want to get the money directly to the students. Um, and that automatically puts them into a different uh, tax liability when they get that kind of money as an independent contractor. So for a lot of these students that are not familiar with what you need to do as an independent contractor, that's potentially a bad thing for them. Um, and so um, by taking those funds and kind of essentially treating them as like a third party scholarship, um, it allows us to uh, get more events uh, for our students to go to and compete in and um, also so that their funds are getting transferred as a scholarship versus uh, directly just cash that goes into their hands, um, which from what we've experienced is more beneficial for these students than for them to just get the cash, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Guys, that is all the time we have. Um, I do wanna say if you had a question that you did not have answered, um, you can reach out to me, Heather, at peakmedia.com. Uh, shoot me an email and I can get you in touch probably with Nicholas, David, or Dylan, or maybe all three. Um, and I'm sure they'd be more than happy for you guys, would you guys confirm they'd be more than happy to answer some questions? Yeah, because uh, they have been gracious enough to give me an hour of their time um, and to give all of us an hour of their time. So guys, thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure having you on the round table. Everyone who attended, thank you for attending the first digital round table. Uh, we'd love some feedback. Uh, you should be getting a survey at the end of the webinar. Um, that will allow you to let us know, hey, is this a good thing? Should we continue to do this? Do you want more? Um, and if you say no, we won't do it again. Uh, but if you say yes, that would be really helpful because we are here to serve you all. So Dylan, David, Nicholas, thank you so much for uh, just giving us your time today. And it was it was really awesome having your expertise on, on the round table. Thanks for putting this together. You're yep, welcome. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. All right, well, great everyone. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time.